You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 105. Today's reading is from St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In our opening verse today, we hear what is said by all the faithful before receiving the Eucharist, that Christ, quote, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So Paul's words to Timothy here are echoed by the faithful, and we confess that we are individually the chief of sinners. Father, why is this of such importance that it's included in the divine liturgy before we receive communion, and why do we make such a bold statement about our own sins? Those are some great questions, but I want to deal with them one at a time. So first, I'll address why this statement, that Paul is the chief among sinners, is of such importance that it's included in our divine liturgy right before receiving Holy Communion, and as you said, individually, each of us recites it. And the reason for that is unmistakable, and it's because our admittance to Holy Communion our being admitted by God to it, is contingent primarily upon our acceptance of the proposition that we are unworthy because we are sinners. And again, this is the main criterion by which we are allowed to receive Holy Communion. So you've stressed twice in just that brief answer that our admittance of being a sinner and unworthy is of prime importance. So why do you emphasize that, Father? Yeah, right. Notice I didn't say it's the only criterion to receive Holy Communion, but that's the primary one. And by that, I mean that if you do not accept this idea, this proposition that the Bible makes, that you are a sinner and that you're not worthy to receive Holy Communion, then none of the other criteria matter. It's sort of like when you receive those diagrams, you know, it says, if yes to this question, then you go to the next questions. If no, then stop here. And that's the way it is to receive communion. If you answer yes, I admit I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, then I can proceed to see if I meet the other requirements. But if I say no, I'm not a sinner, then you stop there. There's no need to ask any other questions. You simply cannot receive. And why is that? Why is it the primary basis on which we approach communion? Well, because the overarching proposition of the Bible is a recognition of the fact that we as human beings are imperfect. We sin, we make mistakes, we fall short, we hurt others, we offend God and His goodness and disobey His laws, which are meant to bring us peace and joy and brotherly love. But, and and this is extremely important, the Bible does not stop there. It teaches us that despite this, God still loves us and He still wants to welcome us to his community, to his banquet, into his kingdom. And he loves us so much that he's willing to sacrifice his only begotten son, his inheritance, for our sake. So in other words, the Bible does not put us in this position of recognizing our unworthiness to make us embarrassed or ashamed or despondent in a negative sense, but to assure us that despite our imperfection, 
God still loves us and cares for us and welcomes us into his home. It's a very helpful perspective, Father. And I also know that that's not the end of the proposition, uh, as you've taught us many times in your sermons and podcasts. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Jason. That's not the end. Unfortunately, many Christians are misled and believe that's the end of the agreement that God made with us. But it's not. The end of the agreement is that since God has so loved us, we must also love our imperfect neighbor, our imperfect family members, and even our imperfect enemies. And so when you look at the full picture, you can see what a healthy and beautiful proposition the Bible makes. It essentially tells us that because as human beings we inevitably make mistakes and sin and fall short, God loves us and forgives us nonetheless, and therefore it's incumbent upon us as believers in God and his teaching found in Holy Scriptures that we also be generous and charitable and forgiving to other human beings who also, of course, are sinners. So in essence, it creates this environment where mercy is multiplied with more mercy. But this is only possible if we as a community accept this biblical proposition, if we accept this teaching of St. Paul that we're sinners and understand that, again, it's the primary criterion by which we're accounted worthy to receive Holy Communion. If we think the primary criteria are things like fasting, going to church regularly, going to confession, and so forth, then we'll inevitably fall into the trap of the Pharisees. But as Jesus said, it's good to do the things that the Pharisees do. It's good for us to fast, to pray, to confess our sins. But if we do those things with the Pharisaical attitude, that by doing them we somehow make ourselves worthy, then we're no better than the Pharisees. Thanks for that explanation on why this statement of St. Paul is so important, that it's included in the prayer right before receiving Holy Communion in our Orthodox Church. So could you go uh, maybe a step further and answer the other question that I had, which was, why do we make such a bold statement about our sins? And specifically, why do we say that we are the chief among sinners? And and how can we all say that and mean it? Yeah, again, it's a really good question, because I think for most of us, the reality is that perhaps we say the words of this prayer, that we're the chief of sinners, but we really have to ask ourselves and question if we mean that deep down in our hearts and in our minds. Do we really believe that we're the chief of sinners? Because my guess is that most of our listeners are probably like me. We probably notice some people who seem to be worse sinners than ourselves. We see on TV and social media all the time people who have committed horrific crimes. Do we really believe that in light of that, that we're the chief among sinners? Right, yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that I want to understand. How can we truly believe that we are the chief among sinners, and, and how can we all say that at the same time and really mean it? Yeah, so again, we have to understand the biblical proposition, the biblical metaphor that's used to describe our relationship to God. And what I mean here is that St. Paul especially, but obviously elsewhere in the Bible also, refers to us as slaves. Most specifically, Paul talks about how we have been freed from the Mosaic law so that we might become slaves of Christ. Now, lucky for us, we have this ultimately supremely benevolent master, Christ. We have a master who provides us with true freedom. So enslaving ourselves to him and his law, his way of life, brings us freedom that we cannot attain any other way. But nonetheless, we understand our relationship to him as that of a slave. 
And I know some people like to talk about some of John's writings where he talks about us being friends of God and how perfect love casts out fear. And some might even think what John said or what I'm saying contradicts what St. Paul is saying, but that's not actually true at all. And to show how to balance these two things, I'll again point to our Orthodox liturgical tradition. At the prayer of the bowing of heads at Vespers, the priest refers to God as, quote, the fearful judge who yet loves mankind. So as I indicated earlier, we're slaves, but we're fortunate to have this master who wills that we be free, who calls us his friend, treats us as a friend. But you cannot understand this correctly. Backwards, you cannot say that God is your friend who also happens to be your master. It breaks down that way. So we have to still understand that despite the blessing of being enslaved to a benevolent master, we're still slaves. I really appreciate that context, Father. And I still have this question, though, of why you're highlighting the importance of us being slaves in the context of us referring to ourselves as the chief among sinners. Yeah, right. And the answer to that now is very simple. A slave has only one aim, one goal, to please his master by obeying his commands. And because that is our one and only task, it means then by definition that we have no business judging fellow slaves. You see, the slaves, they don't do that. They're not responsible for other slaves. They're simply responsible to do what the master says to do, period. And in our case, as slaves of Christ, we can even take it a step further because one of the master's commands was specifically to not judge our fellow human beings. But in any case, as a slave who only looks at himself or herself, we can consider ourselves to be the chief of sinners because we know that we have fallen short of what the master commands, and we're not allowing ourselves to look at how others might have fallen short. So from that perspective, we're always able to refer to ourselves as the chief among sinners. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you. Very helpful, Father. One last question uh, to conclude today. St. Paul discusses the mercy he was shown by Christ. And in Timothy, it says, quote, that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Would you comment on this, Father? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. What Paul is referring to here is the fact that he himself was a persecutor of the church and of the earliest Christians. Remember, we hear about Paul in Acts consenting to the death of the first martyr, Stephen. We hear from his epistles how he had persecuted the church, how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But ultimately, Christ used this person, Paul, someone well-known for persecuting the church, to become the great apostle to the nations, to become the one whose teaching became central to the formulation of the New Testament itself and of the early church. And so Paul is saying this shows that God showed patience, long-suffering with Paul, as an example that even those who may appear to be against God are ultimately able to be saved, they're able to repent and to become great in God's kingdom through God's mercy and grace and love. Thank you, Father. Today's episode began with a discussion on the statement that all the faithful confess before receiving Holy Communion. We confess that we are the chief among sinners, which Father Aaron explained is of utmost importance for our admittance to the Eucharist. He then went on to clarify that while the Bible makes clear that human beings are imperfect, it does not put us in this position of recognizing our unworthiness in order to make us embarrassed, ashamed, or despondent. Rather, the Bible provides assurance that despite our imperfection, God still loves us and forgives us. But this is not the end of the story. In receiving God's love and mercy, 
We are expected to be generous, charitable, and forgiving to our neighbor. We then discussed how we can view ourselves as the chief among sinners. St. Paul tells us that we have been freed from the Mosaic Law so that we might become slaves of Christ. And in our enslavement to Christ, we have a master who provides us with true freedom through his law and his way of life. And as slaves of Christ, our only goal should be to please our master and obey his commands. And so we are left without cause to judge our fellow slave and instead only look inward and recognize our own sin. Here, we are found to be the chief among sinners. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.